Welcome to the Wimlek Show, episode number 33, presented uh, by uh, Sprikers, e-commerce uh, solution everybody's talking about, uh, by Lena Hackeler. She's here with me in Stockholm now. And of course, uh, Debt Agency uh, uh, with uh, Wilhelm Blom. He's not here uh, today. We had a guest here uh, from uh, Pierce e-commerce. It's a very interesting uh, e-commerce business selling motocross and Enduro uh, uh, parts and stuff online, super successful, the European market leader. And Hendrik Zadek, the CEO, told us a lot about the business, uh, a lot about the growth challenges. And from my perspective, we might have found the second case uh, that could be compared to the Thoman example in Germany. Uh, though, what was your aha moment in the podcast, Lena? Well, first of all, I was very happy we were able to get Hendrik here because it's one of the businesses um, that have very known brands in the market but they haven't been incredibly outspoken about what they do as a company. So that was, first of all, super exciting. And in the podcast, I think um, I was I was very interested in their community aspect and how they market to what's, what's quite niched, but a very strong community feeling and how they tap into that and how they've managed to build such a high share of organic traffic in the markets they operate in, combined with a pretty high share of, of private label. So I think that's pretty cool from a profitability point of view. Yeah, and also it's uh, it's just a retailer, so they are mainly selling stuff from other manufacturers. Uh, um, they are doing quite a good job. They are growing. They are uh, they are having like a profitable core business. That's something you don't hear from a lot of retailers in the German market anymore. And they have a very very cool outlook for the future. So have fun and enjoy the podcast with Henrik. Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Wimlex show, um, this time hosted in Stockholm, Sweden. And we're off to a strong start, actually. This is the first episode in 2020 and I have Alexander with me today as co-host and we have a very exciting guest. We have on the show today, Pierce e-commerce. If you haven't heard of Pierce, that is probably because it's the mother company of three very successful online stores in Sweden, which you may have heard of, 24MX, XL Moto, and Sled Store. And with me today, we have Henrik, the CEO. Welcome, Henrik. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Thanks for coming and joining us on the first episode. Perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself, say a few words about who you are. Sure. So my name is uh, Henrik Zadig. I'm the CEO of Pierce since uh, 2016. And I have a background in uh, American uh, uh, blue chip companies. I started off as a as a management consultant in McKinsey before I moved to take my uh, MBA at INSEAD in France. And then in 2001, I joined American Express in London um, and stayed there for a long time, 11 years, in fact. And Amex is a terrific company. and uh, It's a great leadership school, and I had several roles there. But for the last five years or so, I was uh, the global head of digital marketing, loyalty, and, uh, and platforms. And uh, during that time, I had a lot of experience in, in starting and scaling up uh, global businesses. And then in uh, 2012, I was uh, uh, receiving an offer from Staples in Amsterdam to, to head up their European online division. So I took the family and my wife and two kids and the cat and we moved to Amsterdam to mm -hmm. take on this new uh, role. And Staples at the time was uh, the world's largest uh, office product retailer. But also, and not, not everyone knows this, it's also the, it was at the time the world's third largest e-commerce player after Amazon and, and Apple. <clears throat> and then clearly they were overtaken by a number of players since, but uh, still a sizable e-commerce player. And then in 2016, I was um, got in contact with Pierce 
and they uh, I realized they need and I learned they needed um, a CEO who could guide them and lead them through a scale up exercise to accelerate growth, but also to build capabilities and improve processes so that they become could become a more mature company and uh, reduce the dependency on the uh, on the founders. So I thought that was a, a great opportunity. It sounded like a lot of fun. So I decided again to take my wife and the two kids and the cat and we moved to Stockholm and returned back here after having lived abroad for 15 years. And now you're petrol head in e-commerce. That's I'm a petrol head in e-commerce, <laughs> exactly. Exciting. Tell us a bit more about Pierce. Well, Pierce, as you would expect, is uh, was founded in a garage by the two founders, Stefan Run and Daniel Petersen, uh, in 2008. It's a uh, an online pure player. Uh, it's headquartered here in Stockholm. We have about 400 employees in total spread across five offices here in, in Stockholm, Aura, uh, but also in Poland and in Barcelona in Spain. And we're active in, as you mentioned at the beginning, three niches uh, with three different online stores. So 24MX is for off-road riders, that is motocross and enduro riders. The uh, second and fastest growing store is XL Moto, which is geared towards uh, on-road riders, street bikers. And the third one is for uh, sled stores for snowmobile enthusiasts, primarily aimed towards the Nordics. Uh, and we have a huge assortment, about 200,000 SKUs. And we sell gear, parts, accessories and, and uh, streetwear, not the actual uh, bikes. And, and, and just uh, just a, a quick jump in here from my side uh, for our um, um, German and Austrian listeners. Um, so I understood it's a little bit in the area where Luis is in Germany, but you're focused purely <coughs> online or do you run any stores? Now we are pure online player. Actually, we do have one uh, shop as well in the in the headquarter here, uh, but it's a very small part of our operations. So it's an online business and we operate all across Europe. Uh, we have stores, uh, online stores in 17 markets. Uh, and uh, in fact, we just opened up a global uh, store as well. So we, we now ship globally as well. And why it's uh, two brands? So I, I think the target group must be must be uh, very similar from XL Moto and 24MX. Uh, um, maybe we can use the opportunity to uh, to greet Sebastian Diemer, who is like a seasoned founder in Germany and uh, very, very <laughs> active in the motocross area, which you can follow on his Instagram account. The only one I know who is doing this stuff. Okay, great, uh, yeah. But uh, uh, but why, why are you running like two websites for this? No, I mean, we have three in total, as, as I mentioned, right? Uh, but in, in reality, there is less overlap than you think. So the and we wanted from the beginning to be very targeted. So the 24MX is targeted from for the off-road riders, uh, the motocross and the enduro riders. It's a very passionate uh, group. It's and it's a very specific group of, of people and customers as well who are looking for specific types of products. When you go into the on-road segments, it's a much much wider uh, segment. You have a lot of different sub-segments there, and it's a slightly different type of, of customers. So, so for that reason, we wanted to be targeted and we want to be known we wanted to become known as off-road specialists and on-road specialists and that's why we separated them up but mm -hmm. clearly we have a lot of commonalities in terms of how we run the company uh, from a platform perspective and a technology perspective and process perspective but towards the customers we want to have distinct value propositions towards the different stores and can you give us some rough numbers uh, about how many people are working in your companies or uh, how many parts uh, you're selling what the total turnover is per year yeah sure i mean we have in terms of assortments about uh, 200,000 uh, SKUs so it's a huge assortment Uh, Organization-wise, we have about 400 employees, including uh, you know warehouse personnel and customer service personnel. 
about 100 of those are based here in Sweden, and the rest are based in uh, Barcelona and, and Poland. So we have uh, be- really converted from being a pure Swedish company to become a pan-European company now. Uh, from a revenue perspective, we have had a strong growth trajectory, uh, growing about between 30 and 50% every year for, for since the beginning. So just during my tenure here, since 2016, we have grown from about 40 million euro turnover to hitting 120 million euro turnover last year. So uh, it's been a good uh, growth trajectory. And um, for uh, for uh, for the uh, listeners from the other markets, so I guess your brands are uh, very known. Your your shop brands are very known in the in the Swedish market. Is so twenty four MX. Is this a brand uh, a motocross driver in Germany would know? Yeah, I would say most people who ride motocross or enduro they know about twenty four MX. Uh, we are the market leader in all markets uh, where we operate all across Europe. Uh, and we have a huge followership. Yeah, and, and can, can you explain a little bit of uh, the market in, in total? So for the ones who are not doing this uh, 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 motocross stuff, so how many motocross drivers are there actually in Europe and what is like their total revenue in, uh, uh, in, in, in part stuff, stuff you're selling actually? I mean, it's a little bit, um, um, uh, you know, unclear, I would say, because it's not a, every, every motocross rider is not registered. But I estimate somewhere between one and one and a half million riders uh, across Europe. Um, total market size, roughly uh, a billion euro uh, every year. So every rider spends like 1,000 euro per year on gear, equipment stuff and give so take. on? Yeah. yeah. And, and what is like uh, 20 years ago when there was no online around? I guess their uh, their main source of getting new gears was uh, the next motorcycle shop. Is this correct? Yeah. Or was it like a big catalog provider? No, you had a lot of um, small independent shops. Many of them are still around, although uh, I would say also uh, some of them struggle as well. So there's been fewer and fewer of these shops um, over, the, over the years. But that's been the main source. Um, it's a big... So small independent shops and some catalog players as well. And then do, do you then compete with the standard e-commerce USPs or short tail versus long tail? So you have just more products and people are super like individual buyers and want to uh, present their bikes and their gear in a very, very, uh, in a very um, individualized way. And so you have a competitive advantage over a small mail order catalog provider or a small, a small shop and then they choose um, specific stuff from, from your shop because like 200,000 products that seems quite a lot yeah it is a, it is a large assortment but remember that's across all the three different stores and segments okay. right so that's off-road on-road and um, and snowmobiles and a large part of that is is parts uh, spare parts mm-hmm. and specifically since we since we entered the on-road segment a couple of years ago We expanded the assortment a lot uh, in parts because there's a large number of, uh, of bikes out there, a lot of different bike models, and to supply them and become a one-stop shop, we needed to, to expand the assortment as well, particularly in, in parts. But yeah, we compete <laughs> in terms of breadth of assortment. Sure, that is, so you, when the customer knows when they come to the, um, uh, our, our websites, they will have the best assortment, but clearly also prices is, is a very important factor. So price and assortment uh, and then the shopping experience as well, the ability to sit home and shop and, and get the products delivered to you in a couple of days is, uh, is, uh, is beneficial for the customers. So motorbiking is a hobby that I imagine happens mostly during the weekends. Yes, uh, but you have different types. right? So the um, 
motocross and enduro riders, they compete often during the weekends, exactly. Mm -hmm. But then they, they use the week to mend their bike and work on their bike to prepare it for the next uh, next weekend, right? And they may go out and, and uh, do some exercise and some training as well on the tracks. So that's the off-road segment. And the on-road segment, you have customers, of course, use their bikes to commute to work every day. Mm -hmm. And then it's, okay. an, it's in a daily activity. A means of transport, so to say. Exactly. A uh, sled store, then, is the smallest of your source, as yeah. I understand. Is that, of course, here, living in Sweden, that's very popular in the north of Sweden, yeah. snowmobiles. How about other markets in Europe? Yeah, and I mean, it's right now it's focused primarily on Sweden, Norway, and, and Finland. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a big thing. You would be, you would think it is a big thing in the Alps, but it's not really a big big thing. That the the mountains are really too steep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the the least uh, international of your stores. Yeah, then. it is. Mm -hmm. So the mountains are too steep, and then then uh, such a sled is not able to uh, to go up the mountain anymore. Yeah, I, I thought and that was a reason for a sled. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. But it's also it's and it's not allowed. You know, it's. Ah. Okay. So in Sweden and the Nordics, it's, you, there are special a lot of tracks for uh, yeah. snowmobiles, mm. right? So, so and I guess then there's no Spanish and Portuguese customers for uh, the sled store business. <laughs> <laughs> At least I haven't seen one yet. Yeah. Um, okay. And and uh, um, can you tell us? Uh, I, I'd like to stick like uh, a couple of minutes more on, on the market itself. So um, when I had a, a professional conversation with one of the uh, uh, managing directors from uh, from uh, KTM, a very popular brand uh, um, in motocross, at least uh, from from Austria, he was telling me that the, the overall market is a little bit struggling because there's less and less uh, young people starting to do like motocross or starting to do getting driving a driver's license uh, for for bikes. I think there was like a slight change now a couple of weeks ago because uh, Germany allowed uh, uh, people with a standard um, automobile um, driver's license uh, to ride bikes, which mm. is good for your business. Maybe you uh, well done lobby work. I would <laughs> I would uh, I would say, but is is the market um, overall like stable in Europe or is it like decreasing? Um, yes, so the business, the, the market is uh, is relatively uh, is relatively stable. It's a, it's a growth of a couple of percentage points uh, every year. You're right, customers today and people and young customers in particular uh, uh, have a lot on their plate. With a lot, and they compete, and we compete with their times and the attention span. Right, so they spend a lot of time on mobile phones, etc. So that's what you're competing with. But overall, the market growth grows by a couple of percentage points every year. Mm. And, and there is, of course, also ha a big channel shift as well from physical stores to online. So as a company, we have a tailwind from that perspective as well. Mm. Are all the markets on a, in a similar trajectory or are there a couple of markets that you're active in where you see this is more of an up and coming? No, so, I mean, the, I think this follows the same pattern as you would see in other industries. You have relatively advanced uh, digital behavior in the, in the Nordics and then uh, Germany as well. And then it becomes less, uh, less digital penetration in the, in the south of Europe, but it's growing more rapidly there now. So we're in terms of percentage growth, we're seeing the biggest growth in the south of Europe right now. No. Mm. And um, when it comes to like e-commerce and retailing itself, the question is always, um, do you sell via your own online stores, uh, the majority of your business? And what is the share of own or exclusively owned brands? Yeah, we sell, uh, I would say, primarily through our own stores uh, at the moment. We're not a big player in the platform uh, space uh, yet, I would say. We focus on making sure that our sites become the destination for our products. And uh, own brands is a very, very important part of our offering. So, in fact, over the years, uh, we have developed I would, a, a, a private brand factory 
Uh, we invest a lot in, in, in having processes in place so we can develop many new products. We have thousands of own branded products today that we sell under 11 category specific brands. Uh, and that represent about 40% of our total uh, sales. So it's a very important part of our offering. It's what makes us unique towards the customers. And we complement that also with a large um, selection of personalized made-to-order products as well. So we sell personalized shirts, bags, you know, personalized seat covers, wheels, and uh, decal sets, etc. So that people can customize their, their bikes and make them feel their own. And together with all the external brands, we are then able to offer a, a one-stop shop and a one-stop destination for customers uh, for whatever they need for the sport. Yeah. So, and, and uh, actually, the challenge we are seeing in other industries uh, um, that are in like in the same trajectory from brick and mortar um, to online um, comes a lot from the um, failing initiatives, I would say, from the manufacturers. So, usually, manufacturers are used to um, sell the products to uh, to retailers like you or to Louis in Germany or to uh, to the auto group uh, maybe, and this is kind of a very localized business, um, and they have like distribution infrastructure for every market. And now, as like uh, companies like Amazon or Bol.com are entering the market, they're really struggling in uh, in, in 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 their distribution uh, um, strategy. And then you and then they're in a situation where some of their retailers are pushing the products to a very low price via Amazon or via eBay. Uh, which leads to decreasing prices all over the market. Um, do, do, you same, do you see the same struggles with your manufacturers you're working with, or are they a little bit more advanced? Yeah, I see the same, the same uh, challenges. I think historically also we had a challenge to convince the suppliers to sell to us and to offer the products through our online stores as well because they wanted to protect the physical uh, resellers. I think that train has gone, so we're beyond that right now. But still, I would say that uh, several of the suppliers are struggling a bit with their distribution uh, strategy. They're dipping their toes into a lot of areas. Because if I would now talk to a, a, a manufacturer of motocross helmets and ask him about, okay, what is your digital strategy? Then he would say, yeah, you know, Alex, uh, we know that brick and mortar is a little bit failing and there's like online players. But, uh, you know, we believe we are... The source uh, uh, number one for uh, motocross helmets. We want to push our website. We will uh, we will implement an exclusive assortment. You can only get uh, the smart helmet. I don't know if there's a smart helmet thing <laughs> in the market yet. Uh, a smart helmet thing on our website and uh, and providers uh, uh, like uh, like your companies. They are only getting like the last season uh, uh, season stuff. And and then if they try this, they start uh, realizing that it's not that easy to attract traffic at mm -hmm. first. And but what's even harder right now is to retain traffic. Uh, 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 is there any initiatives uh, uh, which are following the same pattern in your yeah, industry? Yeah, we see, I see some of the, particularly the, the large suppliers, they're trying, the large brands are trying that strategy. And I would say I would do the same if I were them, but it's going to be, I think, a long, uh, long battle and it's not easy. And I have been in a brick and mortar environment myself, you know, at Staples, for example, I know the challenge to move from becoming a brick and mortar player or a B2B player to make, make that move into becoming an online player is hugely challenging. It's very different skill sets you really need as a company, much more focus on data quality, and you need to uh, then become skilled at driving traffic, right? You need big investments to build your your name and build your domain. Uh, and it's not just one year. 
it's every year. And to do that while also managing your old distribution channels, the physical retailers, I would say it's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So before we maybe move into the uh, platform questions, Amazon and else, let's maybe focus a little bit on the customer uh, um, first. Um, you're now uh, uh, a couple of years in the e-commerce industry. When we actually started our e-commerce initiatives in uh, in 2010, 2011, it was very uh, pretty much online marketing focused. The, the whole calculation was about how much would you pay for a click on Google? So how many clicks would you need for one uh, purchase? What is the average uh, margin on a purchase? And uh, in, with this, in this calculation, somehow you came out with like your maximum uh, 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 price you're you're willing to pay uh, on Google. That's how the whole industry still ticks uh, uh, a little bit. Um, if you're looking into your departments today, so thinking about how to attract customers, uh, thinking about how to retain customers, how does it look like? How how do you think about like different personas? Is there Is there already a mobile-first strategy, a personalization strategy uh, in place? You're still stuck uh, with the website because it's good enough for uh, getting a uh, getting a very very uh, big bust with, with many with many items uh, compared to like five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, where standard online marketing strategies was still the thing. Yeah. I mean, mobile first, we've been working on that since uh, for the last five years, actually. So we made the transition quite early as a, as a company from that perspective. <clears throat> But when it comes to marketing, obviously, it's it's a hugely important area. And we, ha we have marketing activities across the entire purchasing channel, uh, purchasing funnel, I should say, from uh, and we try to be where the customers are, both online and offline. So online, <clears throat> of course, we work on the usual paid and the earned uh, channels, AdWords and SEO. We a lot of efforts and energy put into that. But I think what where we stand out from an online perspective is on social media. So we have uh, uh, built a huge follower base there, followerships. We have about one and a half million followers uh, in total across Europe on our different platforms, YouTube, Insta, etc., And we so we built an online community that we interact with on a on a daily basis. Uh, we have built a, a network of influencers that we uh, that help us to build awareness and drive engagement with the customers. So the social channel for us is is very very important because this is a this is a passion sport. Customers mm -hmm. feel very passionate about their 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 products and their sport, and we can help them in in in, in nurture that passion mm -hmm. uh, through the online channel. But we also participate offline, and that may be a little bit surprisingly, and where we differ from some other um, e-commerce companies. So um, we, for example, sponsor hundreds and hundreds of riders and, and uh, clubs, local clubs, uh, all across Europe. We participate in, in countless of events uh, on a yearly basis to be where our customers are, because our customers are at the tracks during the week or and during the uh, weekends. Uh, so we want to be there to support the sport and build the sport as well. And uh, through this online and uh, offline marketing activities, we've been able to build strong engagement and strong awareness uh, across all the different stores. Yeah, if, and if if we if I would open now similar web or any other um, analytics tool, so. What is the a share of like direct traffic because you're doing so much like in brand uh, awareness sponsorship of uh, motocross events at the weekend versus traffic where 
I imagine if if you would need to bid on a on a keyword like uh, motocross helmet, mm. so to turn out a margin out of this like uh, a buying process, that's going to be very hard for the first purchase. Like in, in that's I think in Germany for the most e-commerce businesses, it turned from like uh, being uh, profitable from uh, first purchase into customer lifetime calculation. Uh, pretty quick yeah. in the last years. So uh, I'd, I'd I, I'm totally with you. I'd rather focus on, on awareness. But today, what you say that you're not, um, uh, you, you don't rely on um, um, Google search engine advertisement or Facebook advertisement no, the so maj- much? The, the majority of our traffic comes from uh, owned, uh, owned channels. Okay, that's cool. Channels. Mm, that's cool. That seems healthy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you need that in order to have some margin at the end. If I would ask like a, a motocross driver at a racetrack at the weekend, so what is your, uh, uh, do you know um, MX24? So what would be his answer? 24 MX? Yeah, yeah. they would say, I would yeah. say most customers, they would say yes. Okay. Cool. Did it take so a long have, time to build so, that community? Yeah, I mean, the company has been in place now for, for 10 years. Uh, we have about 2 million customers who have been shopping with us uh, during those times in, in total. Um, so, and that's been growing gradually. So, yeah, it's been taking 10 years or so mm. to, to build a, build a presence. Yeah. How difficult is it to roll this into new markets? Well, the good thing about e-commerce, it's not super hard, right? So once you have the, um, once you have the, the platform and the structure in place and, and, and we have that, then it's a relatively quick exercise to move it into a new country. You need mm. to, uh, we we go through a lot of efforts to make sure that the site is is looks and feel like a local player. So we want to make sure that we have the last site in the local language. We want to have local uh, currency and and a local transportation offer uh, or options as well, so that we look and feel like a local player. It's a couple of months activity, um, but I think the key then will be to build the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, build awareness and there that can take time right it's not done, done in a few months because the community I imagine this is quite local yeah so and there we use influencers uh, and the network we have in place of course to so to accelerate and we just now opened up for global sales as well as a test to see how we can build communities outside Europe as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. You, for the Spanish market you actually made an acquisition yeah we did a couple mm-hmm. of years ago as a way to uh uh, enter this South European uh, market, which is very, very different. It's a different behavior from a customer perspective. They have different brands as well. And through this acquisition of this of the Spanish company, we uh, got access to the talent, but also to products and brands and a customer base that we didn't have before. And we have learned a lot in terms and got a lot of new customer insights on the back of that. Mm-hmm. So the marketing approach for the Spanish market will be similar. You also tap into... The brand building, community aspect, social media yeah. to, to drive on traffic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's helped us now. Is where we see the the biggest growth, as I mentioned before, is in this is in Southern Europe as well, because we're gaining more customer insights in terms of what the customers want and what they need uh, there, which is very different from uh, here in Stockholm. So I understand now, like the customer perspective, though, where the customers are come from. In, in your case, so they are very loyal and they're spending a lot uh, over the year. Uh, uh, though it's different to the mattress uh, in bed industry, uh, spending once in ten years, okay. uh, which is cool. I think it's a, it's the basic ingredient for any successful e-commerce business. But uh, that leads us to the platform questions. Um, in uh, uh, in the Dach market, uh, um, Amazon is uh, probably the main topic in, in in every discussion, and we're always asking, okay, what can you offer? 
in comparison to all the other platforms like uh, Bull in, in, in Holland or um, Amazon in Germany. So uh, why wouldn't people search for uh, motocross helmets on, on Amazon? So what is your competitive advantage? And uh, um, um, Or vice versa, does it make sense for you, especially for your own brands, um, to, uh, to, to, to sell it on the platforms uh, instead of building your own community? Mm. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think or worry too much about Amazon um, here. It was different when I was at Staples. We were head-to-head -to -head to, uh, towards Amazon. It was very difficult, very competitive. Here, it's I don't... Of course, customers are looking for helmets, etc. on, on Amazon. <clears throat> uh, uh, and of course, that, that happens, right? But I try to focus on our stores and what we can do to ensure that they are as good as they possibly can be. Um, so we focus on building the right assortment to make sure that customers have a good experience so that they want to come back. And we've been operating next to Amazon for, for many years uh, in, in Europe where they exist. And we've been able to grow uh, very nicely as well. Um, so it, do we sell on Amazon today? Yes, but very, very small volumes. So we try to more as a test to, to make sure, test the data feeds, etc. Yeah, what I try to find out uh, in, in Germany now within like the expert uh, uh, scene, this is saying either you are like the dominant marketplace in your niche, uh, uh, not the dominant marketplace, you are the dominant marketplace for a couple of categories or you are this super successful uh, niche provider. So there's one example in Germany which is very popular. It's called Thoman. They are selling audio uh, devices, microphones like these or these uh, Zoom stuff. They are, um, I think in 2019, they had like 750, 800 million in turnover, mainly in the Dach market and everybody is doing is music or podcasters is buying stuff and it's 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 it's, it's, it's very similar because uh, it's a very very loyal um, audience uh, like every month you need a couple a couple of more equipment and um, you're not so price sensitive you're rather service sensitive mm -hmm. because you really want that it works um, that leads to a situation they are super specialized in their um, industry they are super specialized in their product category and a big platform like an Amazon or Auto do have a hard time to uh, make the products um, as transparent in their 500 million uh, covering catalog because it's super hard to uh, to uh, to find the right Microsoft on Amazon. If I go to Toman, there's um, some facet filtering like um, uh, how big should the microphone be, what is like the, uh, how can you connect it, uh, is it XLR versus non-XLR stuff you can't find at a big platform. And what I'm trying to understand, and I, and I really believe that Those big online shops, there is like a decent chance for them uh, within the next years even to become a platform themselves to let other manufacturers sell via the platform instead of um, uh, having the, uh, the inventory risk. Uh, and that's what I like to understand a little bit in, in your case. So is the market actually big enough and is there, is, are the customers loyal enough to um, stay competitive with your, own, uh, uh, with your own platform or from a certain point do you have to sell your helmets or your gear via Amazon or via Bull or via Otto? No, I think the market is, is big enough and in fact we operate in effect like a platform today. We have a lot of our suppliers who are selling the inventory, selling products through our site and keeping the inventory at their site, right? So we don't need to stock them, right? So that's an important part of our, of our business model. 
And I think to, to be able to, to compete uh, and, and make sure that the customers have a good value proposition, a good offering on, on the site, we go through heaps of effort to ensure that we make it as easy as possible for customers to find the products. Because even on our sites, you have to, we have an assortment of, as I mentioned, 200,000 products. It's mm-hmm. enormously hard to find the right products. So what we do is to uh, make sure that we have the right uh, content. So we have rich content. We, we, we write product descriptions ourselves, we have product videos, buying guides, etc., to help the customers write, select the right product. But also we have a, a very clever tool f- that's called the Fit My Bike tool. So uh, since we have so many spare parts and there are many bike models out there, what you do is you go in and register your bike which the brand, the model, and the year, and the engine will select the types of products that will suit your bike, and we guarantee that it will, will work. And that uh, we see being used a lot by, by our customers, uh, which and is a proprietary, proprietary tool that we've developed over many, many years, uh, which separates us from a lot of other players in the industry. No. One question on this topic, and then I hand over to Lina. Uh, so what, what, do, do you know your market share, your online market share in your industry in Germany? On the dark market? Yeah, I mean, o- overall, uh, in, in Europe, we uh, have rough, we think we have about a 20% market share in uh, online in, uh, on 24MX. And, and, uh, and on, in the on-road segments, it's, uh, it's in the low single digits. And what is like the biggest barrier of like uh, increasing this market share to like 40%, 50%, 60%, let's say in Germany over the next five years? I mean, we're still growing uh, 30% every year. Uh, at least last year, we in th- even in 2019, we grew with 30%. So that's probably twice as fast as the industry overall. So we're gaining market share. And uh, I think we need some time to, to get up to the levels you talk about. Oh, okay. And this growth, where does it come from? Um, so is it like, a, like, like because you've, you're, you've added uh, so much new products or it's, it's an assortment thing? It's like, a, or like you could decrease prices and being more competitive in the market, like it's a pricing, or did you just uh, swallow up some competitors? Yeah, no, it's coming both from a ex- a expansion of the assortment and from taking acquiring new customers uh, in the market. And do you think there's kind of a... a, a um, a, a tipping point where you're so big that for any other competitor selling like the same assortment, not 200,000 products, but uh, 20,000 products, he's going to get out of business or just selling via Amazon? Is it like seeable in the future? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you I mean, hope for, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see that. What I do know is that there's a, these are very fragmented industries. You have a lot of small players, um, um, both on the supplier side and on the retailing side. So it's a very fragmented, um, and I would think it's not sustainable for many of them. Okay. Yeah. I actually want to throw in a curiosity question because sure. uh, Alex and I are forever joking about the fact that in Sweden uh, you can find so much data about just about everybody, uh, including uh, all kinds of personal data. But also, of course, there's various other databases. And I know there's another car parts supplier here in Sweden, um, and what they offer is actually look up through your license plate number. So you can go and you can enter your license plate number, and then they'll show you the right rims and tires and everything suitable to your car. Is that something that you guys offer as well? Yeah. Or is that not possible, maybe, in motocross? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, in motocross, it's, it's not possible since the, the bikes are not registered. Um, but we ha- with the tool I talked about, the Fit My Bike tool, is a, is a similar version to that. So you register your the, the, the 
the bike in terms of the model, the year, and the make, and we will select the t and show you the products that will fit Based your that, fit mm. your bike. And that is a very good customer retention tool mm -hmm. because it is hard. It's hard to navigate and find the right product for your, for your bike and your sport. I imagine it probably brings down return rates yeah. for yeah, you as well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now that, that was just curiosity. What I wanted to ask was, what are the challenges? Would you say? <clears throat> um, because now we spend some time outlining the sort of general market trends that we see in other markets. But what would you say is unique for your business? I think in a company like this, and my personal challenges, <clears throat> and that I share with the with the, the board and the management team is is to balance the investment <clears throat> level. We want we need to balance the investments level to grow and still be profitable, right? So, where is that optimal level that you? Don't invest too little because you always need to think through one or two years ahead uh, in terms of what do I need to get in place in, a, in order to continue the growth. So you don't want to invest too little because then you won't realize that growth. But at the same time, you don't want to invest too much because then you run out of cash, mm. cash, and you can't afford it, right? And find that that balance is something I spend a lot of time on um, together with the leadership team. And so far, so good. Uh, but it's an ongoing challenge. I think also. At the end of the day, the execution is the biggest challenge in a company like this. We, this changing of processes and changing of systems, when you do that in flight with the growth rates that we've been having, I find that really challenging. And I've done that even when I was at Staples and American Express as well. So I just see the same movie repeat itself time and time again. It is extremely hard. I remember when I was at business school, they said, oh, you know, you need to do the strategy first and then you build the processes and then you do the, the systems right so do that you need to do that sequentially in that order okay that's great in a very stable environment that probably works in an environment like this where it's so dynamic and changes it doesn't work so you need to sort of work and tweak the strategy and the processes and the system at the same time and and to do that you know so that they all move in the same direction at the same pace is i think it's, it's just an very hard um, so that's we're spending a lot of uh, time on that. And I think thirdly, also leadership, right? To a company like this, which has grown from maybe 100 people a couple of years ago to now 400 and treble or quadruple the sales in the same t number of years, is um, is changing the the need from leadership, both from a senior leader, the top management, and also the middle management to be able to evolve. The leadership so they can manage this increasingly complex organization, I think, is uh, is also a challenge. And your setup is a bit, well, not special, but you entered the company in 2016, taking over from the founders. So yeah. imagine you've done a great deal of work professionalizing uh, structures yeah. and bringing a bit more of a corporate angle to the business as well. Yeah, yeah, a lot. We've worked on... I think every facet of the business, clearly we, we've talked about how we expanded the assortment and the marketing, but we've done a lot of work also on the capability side. We have upgraded our entire tech stack and everything from the PIM, the product information management tool, to the front end, to the forecasting systems, to you know CRM, so all of that. We've expanded the warehouse, so we now have a 27,000 square meter warehouse to be able to host all these products, right? And we have revised all the processes. I mean, you name it, in every single area of the company, we have uh, had to undergo uh, a lot of professionalization, and, um, which has been fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. And hindsight, sorry, is there anything that uh, you wish you'd done differently? Any, any mistakes that you feel, oh, that would have been better to do differently? Or Yeah, I think... Uh, getting more on top of the data uh, early on and mm -hmm. 
sets specific rules and framework for your data early on before going into a lot of platform changes, I think is is key. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish we'd done a bit more of that. We could have you know, speeded up some of the tech implementations that we've been uh, working on over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. There's a saying in our podcast uh, when it comes to uh, e-commerce business model um, uh, um, that says, um, it's not about what you sell anymore, it's about how you sell. And how you sell is really uh, differentiated um, through your IT capabilities. So data is like one uh, thing, but it's actually how uh, how fast are you enrolling out new front-end functionality? How fast are you with your mobile strategy? Because like from a strategy level, everybody is on par now in Europe, knowing where to go, what kind of marketplace platform strategy, the differentiation really comes, so who is able to, uh, to roll it out um, uh, really fast. And this leads to a situation where companies uh, uh, with a very high focus on IT, so front-end, back-end, a uh, little bit ERP, but mainly shop and mobile, um, are becoming um, the leaders in the industry. If you look on your like 400 people in the company, so how many people are working actually uh, 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 for the IT side? It could be like uh, warehouse applications, but mainly like uh, web shop, mobile application, data, BI. How, how many yeah, are those? 50, 60 people. 50, 60 so, uh, um, because I, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago on uh, Cosm Sona that says um, if you look at an bowl.com, for example, they have uh, two billion in revenue, 1,000 people working at IT, the very, very fast growing and, and bigger platform ones. Um, they are employing uh, um, one IT uh, FTE per two million uh, uh, in revenue. Do you see the same trend in your business? So, it's, is the IT uh, department, the data department, is it growing faster compared to the department of people buying stuff, for example? Yeah, it is. It is. We have had to invest a lot in, in upgrading the IT, not just the tools, but also from a people side as well to get the right skill set in, and we're not done. Uh, same with BI. I think when a couple of years ago we had no one working on BI. Now we have uh, a team of experts working on BI, yeah. and it's helped us a lot. We have yeah. so much insights, and now I can follow in real time customer lifetime value per yeah. cohort. You know, for every new customer we acquire, uh, for example. Uh, and I see that this this area is just going to grow. So would you say then that your business is um, um, that is another article, and I'm I'm pretty much into this topic right now. That's why I'm asking this question. <laughs> um, I've described that there's like uh, three generations of e-commerce business models. So the first generation was like the first Zalando Auto DE generation, where it was really about uh, um, hosting a web shop, um, still uh, owning the whole inventory and customer risk. So buy stuff from the manufacturer, selling it with a uh, markup to the end customers, and this kind of uh, a retail margin was your main business model. And then it uh, then it morphed into some marketplace business models where like companies like Otto or Amazon um, realized that it's it's better to have like a much bigger assortment. So from 200,000 to 2 million products, you can't build this warehouse anymore. You need to outsource inventory risks to the manufacturers and saying, okay, I only buy the two best-selling helmets uh, from your assortment and the 10 other helmets, the more niche helmets. Uh, uh, we are also selling via our website, but whenever there's an order, we need to ship this from your warehouse. Morphing to the third generation where it's not about the uh, product margin anymore. It's only about selling services to the manufacturers, um, saying them, okay, on 24mx.se or de, um, we are offering you advertising space to reach the customers. We are offering, offering your financing, logistics uh, 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 and stuff. Uh, and those business models um, are, of course, uh, 
um, superior compared to the first generation. So and that's whenever we are looking into business models, I'd like to, I try to understand so what generation is it in. And from what I understand from your business model, you're still like the first generation. Is, no, is this no, correct? No, no, no. We're the second second one. So we use a lot of our suppliers to uh, to stock the inventory. So the majority of our products. Um, uh, are actually that we offer are actually stored with the suppliers and we have built an own network and you don't own the inventory risk we don't own that inventory risk and we we have established and built a, a transport network where we sh okay. ship those products on a daily basis to and from the suppliers and out to the different markets and as the customers uh, order them and that is of course helpful as well it makes the pro the delivery process faster and uh, it reduces the risk as well for us And what we always also see, like in the uh, second and third generation e-commerce models, is uh, more and more manufacturers are asking for services uh, yeah. from you, saying, "Okay, uh, you know, Eric, um, there's um, we tried it. Uh, we had our own Instagram channel, we had our own e-commerce project. We paid a million, never worked out. Uh, uh, is there a possibility for you to host the helmet uh, site dot se uh, yeah. for us? I mean, we are, we are, we are in discussions with a couple of suppliers on that. We'll see whether it takes off and becomes a, a sort of meaningful uh, business stream. But yeah, yeah, it's moving towards that. Yeah. Okay. And if you look now forward in 2020, what's the biggest thing you're uh, uh, you're looking into? Uh, you, the, the, or what you're what what is like the what's going to be like the the big bang for your business in uh, mm. 2020? What's yeah. on the map? So oh, what's on the map? I mean, I think there's still uh, growth for us to be earned within these uh, markets where we operate now in in uh, in Europe. Um, uh, so I think just doing more of the same will will help us to grow. I think. We are having a lot in the pipeline in terms of growing our private brand range. So that is, I want us to become more and more unique to differentiate from all the others. So we have lots in the pipeline on that. And then we have made a number of investments in new platforms and data structures, etc. that we are going to now use towards improving the, the customer experience. So that is, uh, those are the sort of the three key priorities. And then over time, I can see us uh, growing more Uh, on a global basis as well. So we'll, we are now testing it and we'll see how it goes and where it takes off in which markets. And then we may put some more uh, ammunition, marketing ammunition in, in those markets where we see, uh, where we see traction. And knowing if there's a lot of like German-speaking listeners uh, 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 listening to the uh, podcast now, is there anything uh, 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 you want to approach them with? Any new employees you're uh, looking for in the German-speaking markets? Now we're always uh, looking for for great talent. Uh, we don't have an office in, in Germany now. We have our office in here in Stockholm, in Poland, and in Barcelona. But uh, yeah, do have a look at our career site. We are looking for a lot of people in in IT, data, marketing, purchasing, for example. What, what are like the uh, three key disciplines in these three offices? So, what, what 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 are the people doing in the Barcelona office, for example? In the Barcelona, we run our we run our customer service uh, operations from there. All the translation work is happening in Barcelona. In uh, Poland, we do a number of things. Include we have our whole accounting function in in Poland. We have a lot of the IT development, uh, front end development happening in um, in Poland. For example, we have some marketing activities also happening in in Poland. So we have a big big operation there. And the warehouse is also. And all the warehouse, mm -hmm. of course, is is happening in uh, from there. Yeah. So there's no warehouse here in Stockholm? No, we only have one centralized warehouse in uh, in Poland. So we use that one centralized warehouse to to serve all of Europe uh, and and globally as well. Okay, but isn't there like for uh, for uh, snow sleds even though it's like a it's a it's a very tiny market if but if they need like a, a replacement part 
for for the sled. You usually need it like uh, at once. Yeah, I mean, we uh, and our delivery times typically between two to five days is what we are able to serve the yeah. whole of Europe, and we also offer an additional uh, next day delivery service for an additional uh, fee. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those urgent cases when you need the product tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, I try to wrap it up a little bit from my per- perspective as we are heading now into the like the 50 or 60 minute mark or- already for uh, for for the podcast. Maybe uh, uh, maybe Lena has some questions left. But so um, you're like an e-commerce business evolved from e-commerce 1.0 now in uh, clearly in uh, 2.0 uh, stage with a with a very very healthy growth uh, above 20 percent, even 30 percent. So you're gaining market share, um, and you're like financing this growth by yourself, not by um, uh, not by external uh, investors. Um, well, we are a PE-owned uh, company. Uh, we have uh, uh, fu- external funders, external funding as well for to fund us. Okay, and uh, uh, and you're uh, you're very very uh, dominant all over Europe, uh, but you're not in in the uh, U.S. market or South American market. Uh, yeah, uh, we have just opened up a global site, so we take orders from from the world, with exception of a couple of countries. Um, but that's more in a test phase at this stage, and we'll see whether we're gonna and which markets it takes off, and where we will put some more marketing investments. So maybe I found now the uh, the second example to Toman because that is like the example which is very stressed already in the German market. So who can survive next uh, to Amazon? Uh, uh, I may, maybe I need to think a little bit. I need to digest uh, the information, uh, but uh, it sounds very very uh, promising actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so, and I think so. That's yeah. what we're working towards. Mm-hmm. Do we have questions left, Lena? I think we've covered most of it, actually. We had a, um, just, just to repeat, I'm not sure that we've actually said it on the post- podcast. We talked about growth rate a little bit um, earlier this morning when you joined us here prior to the recording. I'm not sure we've said it now because I think it's a pretty interesting yeah, yeah. number. Yeah, did, yeah, did we yeah. cover it? Yeah, we cover, we, cover, we, we, we cover it, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, over the last three years, we've trebled the, the company in terms of uh, sales growth. We went from 40 million euro sales to 120 million in 2019. Right, the total ended. number we've covered. Yeah. And but we year have, over year, it's yeah, it's year over year. Last year we have yeah, la- year 2019 we have about 30, 32 percent growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and looking at the total market size in Europe, like 500 million is doable, definitely uh, in your market. Like if we do like the, the, the second episode with uh, uh, with you in two or three years from now, we are probably most uh, above like 200, 300 million. Though it's uh, it's pretty cool, and you're earning money uh, with that. Yeah, profitability is a focus yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. I think it's very very important to to make money. Uh, I know there's a lot of smaller e-commerce companies out there who, who struggle today with, with profitability, and I think uh, it is it is a problem in the industry overall. I want to make sure that we run this as a safe and stable operation so that we can have a sustainable company, and for therefore profitability is is indeed important. Very cool. Thank you for your Great. time uh, being guest in our uh, podcast. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of questions uh, uh, when the podcast is, is going to be on air. And then we'll forward those questions uh, uh, to you. And uh, uh, and greetings again to Sebastian Di Maria. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you. to bring you back. Thank you very much for hosting me. Thanks for Thank joining us. Thank you. So Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed uh, our talk with Hendrik. Um, and you agree with, with our assessment that it's a very exciting case. Um, looking forward to next week, we'll actually be hosting Askiat, uh, a Swedish fashion company founded here in Stockholm, Sweden. And we have the founder, August, joining us, telling us all about it. So hopefully uh, we'll see you again or hear you again next week.